Welcome to Conversations with the Authors. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Conversations with the Authors. I'm your host, Daniel. And I'm Daryl. And I'm Sandra. Today we're talking about flaws in writing. Uh, remember, this is not a TED Talk. This is not a scripted podcast. Uh, we have notes, but you know, uh, we're not we're not here to hammer you over the head. Uh, this is just a chit chat between you, me, and our authors, who happen to be the highly rated and Eric Hoffer nominated authors of How Nicholas Became Santa Claus. So we're talking about flaws in writing, and it would be a flaw. Uh, not to thank Alexander Nakarada for writing our, our intro, because, man, it is something else. Uh, but also when we talk about, we talk about flaws, Sandy, we talk about, uh, for instance, uh, magic systems that are too powerful, uh, that it makes our characters invincible, or prophecies that come true so perfectly that the characters, even though they have free will, it still happens. Uh, we talk about um, you know love stories between two characters who have no chemistry or no reason to be together. And we talk about villains uh, who are just evil for the sake of being evil. And these are all things that you talked about, uh, wrote about in How Nicholas Became Santa Claus, this amazing fantasy novel. We have a Nicholas who is sort of un understanding who he is and how he comes to be as the title Explains, and there are so many interesting and magical characters in his um, you know, party, for lack of a better term. How did you uh, deal with you know these sort of flaws, not making our magic characters too powerful, and not making our villain villainous for the sake of being a villain, or you know not falling in love for the sake of you know falling in love because I like these two characters and they should totally be together? Uh, how did you accomplish that? With redundant outlines, mm -hmm. <laughs> I yeah. had, mm. we had out, I had outlines for every character, and every environment that the character was in, and then I tried to combine them all, and then I had Daddy to go behind me and double check and say, no. <laughs> you know, I, I I think the important thing is to make sure that your characters have the chemistry and the right motivations. Yes. You know, they're mm -hmm. not evil just to be evil, or they're not in love because you stuck them right. together. Uh, that would be torturous for anybody to read. Yes. So you have to lead up to these things. You have right. to give some background and, and some understanding to, to the reader why this person is the way they are. Uh, so just do your outline and be very careful uh, and examine it and make sure that it, ha that it makes sense. It has to make sense. Yeah. And we talk about we talk about outlines and a lot of things, a lot of flaws, and writing sometimes happen to be that the story is not well flushed out, and not necessarily, you know, the plot, but the world itself. Um, you know, you're creating this, you know, canvas uh, on which you're painting these characters, these stories, uh, and it has to make sense. You know, when you when you're writing an outline, an outline is not really so simple because, mm -hmm. uh, for instance, you take each character. Suppose you have mm -hmm. eight characters, for instance, you take each one of those, and you give it that person a background. Mm -hmm. You give them uh, their motivations. You tell about how they were raised and what they what they value, and so. Whether you use that in the story or not right. is another thing, but what you've done is you you fleshed out you sort that of, character. You, you created this, uh, you know, uh, dossier for lack of a better term. Right, and you you can pick and choose from that. Mm -hmm. 
And so it makes your characters whole. Right. And so that's not yeah. something that's in the outline where you're, which you write the story from, but it's it's set aside and something that you can glance at and look at and say, well, what color was my my, my character's eyes, or, or what does he not like? Uh, you know, what it, what is it about him? Right. And so you've got this whole, like you said, a dossier on this person. And John, you created this this story with uh, your husband, and and these characters uh, because of that are not. Uh, flat, which is one of the flaws that you you, you want to avoid, um, and we and, and you have to pump your characters up, pump them up, yes, uh, and so. But make uh, them really, really tiny. Right, right, and then they're like our light sprites, uh, but it also helps with uh, plot holes, right? Uh, and plot holes are are just things that you know are illogical to the storyline I guess you know that doesn't make, why did that happen that doesn't make sense why is you know the Fonz jumping a motorcycle over you know they don't, why it doesn't make sense what's, what's the point of it right things, things have to make sense uh, and, and and that's that's part of it uh, what do you think is the biggest thing that uh, uh, an amateur writer or even veteran writers might do when it comes I, I think to, more uh Something to watch out for amateur writers is that it's the way they <clears throat> tell the tell. They're, they mm -hmm. are narrators, mm -hmm. and sometimes uh, if their language is very pedestrian, right. uh, then uh, in certain ways, uh, then it, it, they can say things right. uh, that, uh, that sound very, very flat. Uh, it, it's like, well, Mike. He wanted John wanted to give her a free gift, so he watched as she came through the door. Uh, well, number one, free gift is a tautology. They call it a right. Tautology. Yeah, we were talking about that before the yeah. podcast, and yeah. these are like redundancies, right? It's a redundancy, and uh, you want to, or you're the narrator, and you're saying he came into close proximity to the man he was looking for. And the the author wrote that. With serious, with all seriousness, I suppose, but saying close proximity is a flaw, because proximity already implies closeness. So saying close proximity is redundant. Right, right. You said we want to watch out for those those natural redundancies, uh, and I say natural because people use them in a relaxed language. You know, like in well, the end result of the experiment. Well, that's a tautology too. The result is what happens at the end. So saying. Res, uh, end result is redundant. So mm. watch those types of things. And there are many others. Basic fundamentals. Well, uh, fundamentals are the basic principles of elements. So saying mm. basic fundamental is right. redundant. That's right. 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 Like reading. Reading now, is now, fundamental. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> your character, when your character is talking, your character can say anything that can come out of his mouth. Right. But if you're the narrator, just be careful because authors narrate right. they, tell, they tell the story and then uh, their characters embody the words the characters can say anything but the narrator has to watch his language right. unless he's doing that on purpose right because there's some uh, stories that are written like that you know you, and uh, you, you've seen old stories uh, about foreigners and slaves and mm -hmm. other people and it's written in that type of vernacular, even right. the narrator is speaking like that. Yes, there's this uh, dialect so, that's happening. Right, right, so that was purposeful. Right. It wasn't yes. by accident. Right. So you don't want to. But make it has to fit 
the it has to fit the story. I think you can't just do it for the sake of doing. You know, right. a good writer doesn't make those things by accident. He right. does those things on purpose. Right. Yeah. I, uh, what was the hardest part, Sandy, when it came to, you know, making sure that you were avoiding flaws? Did you have any particular ones that you personally struggled with, or is there one that you sort of that pet peeves you that you see elsewhere and sort of like, I don't know, gets on your nerves? Uh, one that that I had to deal with was not having my physics and my characters in the same plane. Mm-hmm. So I would forget that my oddling was in the Orpic Forest, and I'd write him like he was. Oh, I see. In in, in modern times. Oh, I see. And yes, I'd yes. have to go back and. Uh, yeah, we worked together to follow up on, on things like that. And there were things that I had to, to watch out for, too. We, so we watched out for one another. Uh, and did, what what did you uh, seem to struggle with? Uh, or what was or what is your sort of pet peeve when it came to uh, either reading or writing for Nicholas? You know, I, I think it's something that you find a lot in this modern age of uh, messaging mm-hmm. and quick writing. You know, and I watch out for it because it can sneak in even though you know better. It's like uh, saying uh, the contraction of you are is your. And you don't want to w- write Y-O-U-R, which is your. It, right. Is, you know, as opposed to Y-O-U apostrophe R-E. You want to make sure you get things like that right. And, and there, it, it, it belongs over there. Or it is theirs. You don't want to say T H E R E S rather than T H E I R. So twos you watch the and airs. yeah twos and yes uh, uh, yeah. And though I think the one thing is uh, he's here too. You know, is T O O not T O right? Okay. Yes. Or T W O. Yes. Right. Yes. Uh, so just be cautious of those things. And it's not that you don't know better or that you're a, a, a bad or a dumb writer. It's those things slip in sometimes. Yes. Yeah. You know, so uh, what is that that text to speech program in messaging? Yeah. Uh-huh. I hate when I'm in a hurry and I tell the, I say it and I say what I want to say, but then the the computer spells mm. everything wrong. Well, right. you know, and I guess that's important because some people write on their computer. Some people yes. may even dictate mm-hmm. to their computer. But your computer is not going to be right. right. So like Sandy says, uh, those are things that you have to check over right. again. And, you know, as, as as a writer, whether you're a novelist like you are or you're a screenwriter like I am, um, it's important to have real eyes on your story, and as 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 much as you might love your story and sort of want to keep it to yourself until it's all done and perfect, uh, you want to let people read it. You want the beta readers mm. because that's the kind of thing that uh, a computer may not notice. Yeah, you know. I've got you, a- you have to people using the AI. They have to realize that even though you're listening to your computer, you have to look at it too and ch- and double check it because. I've had instances where I've had the computer reading for me because I'm dyslexic and I want to know what I wrote Mm -hmm. and did I write it correctly. And then I look back at it and there are incorrect words in it. You know, Mm -hmm. you you said something about your eyes. Sometimes your your eyes can fool you. You You need to use your ears. Sometimes if you can have somebody read it back, have your computer read it back, it's like 
like uh, it's like Star Wars when uh, uh, Luke put the helmet down and it had uh, yes, no vision. Right. This was a metal plate in front of him, and he heard uh, uh, Obi Wan say. You know, just, just use the force. Sometimes, in this case, your eyes can fool you sometimes, yes. and you have to listen to it. And you can find mistakes that way, too. You know, one of the things I, I noticed that you do in Nicholas is that you, uh, how Nicholas became Santa Claus, I call it Nicholas for short, you'll hear me do that a lot, um, is that uh, you guys work very hard on making sure that what you're saying is what you mean. And that's sort of a grandmaism. You know, my grandma used to say, say what you mean, it means mean what you say and so the idea of having a, a proofreader a beta reader uh is that they can read it uh you know aloud to you or they can read it to themselves so, but yeah. they can also bring up where things get confusing you yeah. know on this yeah. and, it, and it has to make sense it's i, I remember this old yogi Berra saying when he said i never oh, said most a, of the things i said oh yes so make sure that what you're saying is is makes sense that it's that is cogent and in order you know hmm. um Yes. And yeah. hand it back to a human because right. the human is going to have that that insight into humanity right. when you read, right. and and it, it's important. You know, we talked about we talked about that on this podcast. Uh, you know, a few times here and there. We even did a whole podcast specifically on AI, and I think we'll come back to it. But um, you know, AI is not going to have those nuances. It's not going to, uh, you know, it can predict really well but it's not really ever going to touch that humanity uh, that makes a great story a great story it's the human touch I think that makes things perfect and I think that's why in sci-fi a lot of the times our heroes are human or there's some half human half cyborg or half vampire half uh, because that touch of humanity uh, number one allows us to as we always say resonate with the character yeah. but well also I think if it wasn't human, I don't think we'd really connect with the story as much. I, I think uh, one of the things that humans have that, that mm -hmm. machines don't is the ability to, to have a leap of logic. Yeah. You know, because mm -hmm. we, we can do it on a gut feeling. Right. And so if you're half human, you can do that. But if you're like data without the emotional right. chip, you, you, yeah. you'll just take it uh, word by word and you can't leap that logic. It's probably a good reason why AI is not being policey right now because they can't make those they can't make that jump that humans can do. Doesn't they have the emotional chip, right? They yet. can't add that idea that okay, I can understand what this individual is going through. Mm -hmm. Maybe we don't need to press charges, or maybe this time we can let them go, or you know. Uh, so that's that's something to consider. When it, there, there's an old saying uh, in, in the law, there's uh, the letter of the law and the spirit of the law. The computer will always get the letter of the law right, but it will never have the spirit of the law. Right. Because, mm -hmm. uh, again, uh, this could be like uh, 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 La Miserable, where you steal a loaf of bread and you get a life sentence because somebody went to the letter of the law and not the spirit of the law, not knowing uh, or not caring or not feeling that this individual was starving and they need that. Right. You know? And, <laughs> and uh, uh, Sandy, I think... Um it's 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 important to to sort of note that, uh, and I'm sure you might agree with this that you know AI and you know ChatGPT and all of this they're they're the new shiny things in the room, mm -hmm. so I think people feel kind of lured to that, uh, and as a writer, I wonder how is it uh, that you can avoid uh, such a you know. Uh, a you know, striking uh, thing. 
I mean, is there no allure to, you know, maybe we can do something together? Like, how is it, uh, you know, and, and, you know, I think that could be a flaw in writing is that you're relying too much on the technology. I think there's something to yeah, be said you about, um, as a, you know. I've noticed just as I call myself an old writer because mm-hmm. when I started writing, you had to go to the library. Right. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I miss that. Although yeah. I have every library in the world, every encyclopedia in the mm-hmm. world, when you turn that page and you smell that ink and mm-hmm. you look at the diagrams, there's a um, connection mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that that is made that you don't quite get when you tap a key you know, on the keyboard. It, it, it's interesting you say that because I I grew up in a transitional period where you know computers were just coming into elementary schools so you know we had the spell checks and things and so that allure of you know don't worry about your spelling let the computer fix it uh, you know uh, i think that that became a flaw because too people too many people became reliant on it you know so i think that's something we need to watch out for as writers mm-hmm. you know? oh of course of course you know, there there was a, a time in, in English history before there were even dictionaries. People mm-hmm. used to spell things, for instance, any way they felt. Mm-hmm. You know, and then uh, uh, and Dr. Johnson came around in, in the 16th, 17th century and, and wrote the dictionary. And mm-hmm. then uh, uh, after uh, after the, the the revolution and, and, and times leading after that, then you had uh, uh, Webster come along mm-hmm. and write the, the the American version. Of English, but so they to standardize the language, to standardize the words, and so we do have standards, and and we we must keep those standards and pre- and pre- preserve those standards. You know, and, and they're, 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 they're one of my favorite performers, mm-hmm. Victor Borga. Yeah, yeah. He had this this most elegant performance mm-hmm. called phonetic pronunciation, mm-hmm. where he took a passage from anything, and he would read it as written mm-hmm. with all of the yeah but you know he would do sound effects for the punctuation mm-hmm. oh yes uh, yes yes in yes, order yes. in order to get the emotion across mm-hmm. that that you would think mm-hmm. you were getting from reading it mm-hmm. and you don't you don't get that often with a computer you don't sometimes you don't get that feeling even when you're reading off of a paper, you don't get the feeling of what's actually being said. You know, and I think also well, that's too, what we got you for. That's right. That's <laughs> what. That's why our stories have every single emotion that our body yeah. does. And I was going to say every you sensation. Know, you don't get the feeling of what's being felt. And Sandy, you did an amazing job in accomplishing this and how Nicholas became Santa Claus. And uh, I've been told that it's better than Harry Potter. Now, I don't want to spoil anything, but I will say that I've been told by readers, uh, uh, a lot of female readers, mothers, that there's a particular scene in the book, uh, which uh, you've been told, Daryl, that they always recall, Mm -hmm. uh, which strikes you with emotion. And if you're... An emotional person like I am, it, it strikes you, and you'll remember it. Oh, yes. Um, and so, how Nicholas became Santa Claus without, you know, being braggadocious is a master class, I think, in really 
on how to communicate and description as you write, Daryl, and, and emotion as you write, and sensory as you write. I appreciate that. Thank you. Uh, and if you want to experience this book, if you want to read this book and be a part of this book, uh, visit our website at truebooks.com where you can land on our author page and pick up a hardcover or a softcover. You can visit our TikTok, our Instagram, our Facebook, our X at troopbooks. And if you've got an idea for a show, if you've got a topic you want to talk about, hit us up at info at troopbooks.com. Uh, if we like it, maybe we can talk about it. And uh, I'll talk to you next time on Conversations with the Authors. Mm-hmm.